listening to Law and Gospel on this Bible study Wednesday, April the 3rd, in the year of our Lord, 2019. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and on Bible Study Wednesdays, we are entreating congregations to kind of meet together in small groups at 9.30 on Wednesday, listen to me talk for about a half hour, and then after I'm done, they talk among themselves for a while as to what we had to say. The Bible text we're going to be looking at is Luke chapter 7. And as I give you time to turn to that, we do want to remind you that we do have some individuals who are inviting friends or neighbors or family members into their homes to kind of listen to this Bible study on Wednesdays at 9.30 in the morning also. So you're more than willing to do that. And if you have any questions after the Bible study, email me at lawandgospel at lawandgospel101.com. Now, we're taking a look at Jesus healing a centurion's servant in Luke chapter 7. So without further ado, let's begin. Uh, Jesus had been, of course, preaching, talking about building your house on the rock. And after he had finished his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now, you may recall from another text The people in Nazareth got really angry at Jesus because Nazareth was his own hometown, and yet he was not doing very many miracles there, if at all. Whereas in Capernaum, he had been doing a lot of miracles. Uh, Capernaum is modern Tel Hum, H-U-M. It's a fishing village and was actually an important garrison for the Romans on the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee. It was also the home of Peter, and Matthew, the tax collector, collected taxes there. Jesus used Capernaum as the basis of his operation, and two of Israel's 12 tribes, Zebulun, and Naphtali occupied this territory west of the Sea of Galilee. So, he's in Capernaum, and a centurion, and that would be, of course, because the garrison is there, he had a servant who was sick and at the point of death who was highly valued by him. Now, centurions have to be Romans. Uh, They're the only ones that Rome would put in charge of normally 100 soldiers. That's why they call them centurions, you know, century, 100 years, centurion, over 100 soldiers. A lot of times that number would be mixed a little bit depending on the situation and circumstances. But he has a servant who was sick and at the point of death. Now, Even though the word servant could be translated as slave, this was not someone he considered as property, but he considered him as a dear friend. It kind of reminds us of the Good Samaritan 
And the point Jesus is making there is that everyone is your neighbor. And this centurion, even though he had this servant, whether he was Roman, Greek, or Jewish, we don't know, but he was near the point of death. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. Now, this centurion was somewhat familiar with Jewish thinking. And if there was one thing that a lot of Jews did not appreciate was, of course, Rome in their land, conquered the land, oversaw it, and made a lot of rules and laws. And this centurion, because he was Roman, he heard about Jesus. It reminds me of someone else, a leper who was a Syrian, heard about Elisha. And that was from the young girl that he had captured, who was Israeli. And she told him, you can get rid of your leprosy if you go to him. And so this is really important to understand. People hear about Jesus from other people. In the Sunday School lesson yesterday for Issues Etc., the word disciple really can have two meanings. It can refer to the 12 who became apostles, or it can refer to anybody who follows Jesus. And following Jesus means to believe in him as he says he is and his message. Now, this centurion was well aware that, you know, it's not a good idea for a Gentile to go to the home of a Jew. And so instead, he sent the elders of the Jews asking Jesus to come and heal his servant. Now, obviously, there's a relationship this centurion has with the Jewish religious leaders in that town. And we find out why in the next verses. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly saying, the centurion is worthy to have you do this for him. I'm in Luke 7, verse 4. And then they tell a reason. For he loves our nation and he is the one who built us our synagogue. Now, the term used for Gentiles who end up joining with Judaism is proselyte. But it doesn't appear that this Roman centurion had become a member of Judaism through that process, probably because it would have interfered with his duties as a Roman centurion. Because, remember, Caesar was the one to worship. How many Christians were persecuted under Caesar because they refused to worship Caesar? But this centurion is well-liked by the religious leaders of Judaism and... He loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our 
synagogue. Now, in the synagogue, you'll recall, they would have readings from the Bible, and then an individual would stand up and kind of give a sermon on the basis of the readings. And who knows whether he had heard the various phrases and passages in the Old Testament about the Messiah who is to come. Then he hears all about Jesus. And Jesus' reputation was really becoming quite important, uh, particularly in light of the healings that he had done in Capernaum. And if he was willing, would he heal my servant? Well, immediately, look at verse 6. And Jesus went with them. Now, that's kind of dangerous for Jesus because affiliating with a Gentile is not the smartest thing to do any more than affiliating as he did with Matthew, one he called as a disciple because he was a tax collector. Tax collectors worked for the Romans. And there was even a disciple who fought against the Romans and the zealot. It's important to remember these items that if you don't understand the culture of that day, you can't understand why does the centurion, you know, not think that he ought to come to Jesus or later on that Jesus should not come to his house because of the cultural conditioning the people had about the distinction between Gentiles and Jews. But because he had helped build a synagogue, the Jewish leaders there were quite impressed with him. And they were more than willing to go to Jesus and ask him if he could do something about the centurion's servant. And Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Now, we can understand that in a couple of ways. Uh, first of all, he's a Gentile. And coming to the understanding that Jesus, boy, the way they're talking about him, the miracles he's doing, perhaps this is the one that they've been looking forward to coming, the Messiah, uh, the Savior of the world, and who am I to have him come into my house? The other reason he might say that is because he didn't want to put Jesus in a bad position of going into a Gentile house. That could have been dangerous for Jesus. Remember, it did become dangerous where he ended up being crucified for the things that he was doing against the new religion of Judaism of that day, where when he healed somebody on the Sabbath, they got real angry at him. When his disciples uh, ate from the fields, uh, they got angry at him because that was also done on the Sabbath. And Jesus even, remember that one te uh, text he uses, he says, well, if one of you has an animal that falls into a ditch on the Sabbath. Are you going to wait till the next day to bring him out? And he even pointed out that even the priests work on the Sabbath. 
in slaughtering the sheep for sacrifices, etc. Well, this centurion, either because he doesn't want to put Jesus in a position that would put him in danger, or he recognizes he's really a sinner. If, if anything, he had heard, and that was from the Old Testament, there's nobody who does good and does not sin at all. Everyone sins. In fact, if you want to take a look at those passages of the Old Testament, the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 1 and 2 does a good task of using them. So he says, do not trouble yourself. I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you. Then he says something. But say the word and let my servant be healed. Now see, up to this point, we don't know of any healing Jesus did or any miracle he did where he was not present with the person who was healed or the people. Remember, 5,000 people are fed by Jesus. And that's just a number of men, not including the women and the children. He was there. And when he healed people of demon possession or other diseases, he was present. But this centurion, this Roman, says, Say the word and let my servant be healed. And then verse 8. For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. Now, this is really an important verse here. Because when he says he is one under authority, he has the authority because he's a centurion. He's been placed into that particular office. This is why when pastors hear the confession of sins, remember how the absolution goes? Upon this, your confession. And he says, by the authority of God, I forgive your sins. We pastors don't have any power to forgive sins. That power comes from Jesus. But we become the person who's speaking the words of Jesus to those who have repented of their sins. And so by that authority, he is able to do things. Well, Jesus has the authority from the Father. Whether this man understood the Holy Trinity or not is not clear, but it's clear that the Holy Spirit has worked faith in him up to this point to recognize that Jesus can just say it and it will be done. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. And turning to the crowd that followed him, said the following, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith.
Jesus marvels because of what? A good work this man did? No. Because of his faith. And what is faith? It's trust in the Messiah. The idea that Jesus marveled, this is the only time this word is used by Jesus at this event. And he's marveling at the faith of the man. Remember, faith believes that for which we have no evidence. Where is the evidence that Jesus simply can say something and the healing will be done? Well, it hasn't occurred yet. Remember, he's always been present up to this point. But this centurion believes that Jesus has such authority because he's heard about the works of Jesus. He's heard about the preaching of Jesus. You see, there's a lot that we're not told in the Bible about Jesus preaching. I, I remember, we remember the story of Mary and Martha, where the one is making the meal and gets angry at her sister for not helping out. Well, the next time we meet them is at Lazarus' tomb. And when Jesus arrives, the one sister says, yes, I know he will rise from the dead, you know, at the end of the world. Well, where does she learn that? Because what Jesus was teaching them in the house previously is not explained. But obviously he was talking about judgment day and that all believers will rise from the dead. But then Jesus corrects her and says, no, uh, today this is going to be happening. And they go to the tomb and sure enough, Lazarus is raised from the dead. So how much the centurion heard is kind of difficult to know. But we do know of an Ethiopian eunuch whom Philip was sent to from God to explain the passage from Isaiah he was reading, saying, who is he talking about? Is he talking about himself or someone else? And when Philip spoke to him about Jesus and also his death, his resurrection, and the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper, as they were passing by water, the Ethiopian said, what prevents me from being baptized? And he was baptized immediately. So obviously Philip was talking to him also about baptism. A lot of times we're unaware of the full sermon message that is given by Jesus and the apostles. Now, sometimes the whole sermon occurs like in Pentecost with Peter. But when Jesus says, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith, that faith is a faith trusting in his authority whether he is present at the scene or not. And sure enough, listen to verse 10, Luke 7. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. This is Jesus revealing his authority over every threatening foe. What's the message for us? 
we don't see Jesus. We can say we hear him in a worship service when the scripture is written, the liturgy said, or a hymn is sung. But we don't see him in front of us. And a lot of times when we pray for something specific, it doesn't turn out the way we pray. What faith is, is knowing that even though he is invisible to us right now, his promises are always sure. Now, if there were a promise in the Bible that said, anytime you get sick, if you pray to me, I will heal you immediately, then we'd have to say that healing will always occur. But there is no such promise anywhere in the Bible. There is a promise in Romans 8 that all things will work together to your good. There are other promises that he will not give you more than you can handle. But as you trust the faith, the promises of Jesus Christ, you will get through any kind of thing. So what this is saying is you don't see Jesus. And how many times have miracles occurred in your life of which you may not even be aware of? Uh, for example, I was uh, riding around on Wednesday with an individual uh, visiting some shut-ins and delinquents, etc. And a few days later, he came down with influenza. Now, did he have any signs of that when we were? I was driving the car, he was sitting beside me? No, not at all. But even... And, and that's something I understand that other people can catch. At this point, it's been kind of surprising to me because almost every winter for the past few years, I've lost my voice somewhere. And my wife keeps making me put on my jacket and such so I don't get cold, etc. But for that and other reasons, it's kind of a miracle I haven't lost my voice. And we're almost out of the cold weather, etc. Yeah, watch. Next week I'll lose my voice. Then what am I saying? But the fact of the matter is, you could take a piece of paper and start thinking about every miracle or every action of God that occurred in your life of which you were unaware. I used to call it coincidences, that something happened during the day and it was just a coincidence. It was almost... It was hard to believe. In fact, two of the people we went to see on that Wednesday, one of them was driving out of his driveway when we drove up. He got out of his car, and we had a great conversation. Another person, my friend, recognized his vehicle and said, follow him. Let's see where he's going. And fortunately, he was just going to a store and this was really something. The store's front parking lot against the store was all filled except for two spaces. He went in the one space, and the space behind, beside him was also open. Nothing else was open. And we drove in there, and we had another good conversation. Now, I, I don't like talking about that there's evidence for God. But boy, are there ever a lot of coincidences that occur that you just couldn't plan out ahead of time. In, in fact, this uh, one congregation, while well, I preach at two of them on Sunday, I fill up with gas when I leave Synod's building, 
And I go to the congregations on Sunday, come back on Monday. And when I drove into the parking lot at the LCMS headquarters, a mile from where I get gas at Sam's, I had one mile to go. (laughs) Talk about perfect. And I was able to get to the gas station and fill up just with one mile to go on my gauge. So I, I see God everywhere. The centurion had faith. He wanted to be polite to God, but he also wanted his servant healed. On tomorrow's Law and Gospel, we're going to be talking about worship. Uh, Wes Reimnitz found an article by an individual about the four necessities for worship. Now, he's not Lutheran, so we're going to use the Bible to take a look at what he has to say on tomorrow's Rumination Thursday. God bless. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.